Welcome to the Freelance Thrive. Here we talk with skilled freelancers about their professional journey. So stay tuned for real life experiences to learn and actionable steps to take to improve your freelancing career. And my name is Yuri. I'm a community builder at Code Control at 9am.works. And my guest is Manuel Vukovic, a creative person passionate about Android startups, entrepreneurship, and public speaking, who even helped build one of the top 50 startups in Europe. So welcome, Manuel. Yuri, it's good to be here. Super happy to finally talk to you. And, you know, when I was going through LinkedIn, the first question uh, definitely show, saw the logo of your company right away. So why Pure Shadow? Okay, that's a, that's a question I get a lot. So the story is, is kind of old at this point. So it's actually re related to a friend of mine uh, and his uncle. His uncle is uh, owner of a textile industry and he's a millionaire. He's, he might have even be a billionaire at this point. I don't even know. But he's a very successful guy. And, you know, we were, it was 2015. We were striving to build something of our own. And we wanted advice and we asked for his advice. Like, how do we reach the first million? That was, that was all that we needed. Like, tell us what's the, the, what's the roadmap, what's the formula to reach the first million. And then we'll kind of wing it on our own, you know, we'll, we'll learn something in between. And then he said the, the famous sentence, the, the famous words, there's no shade under my peers, meaning he's always in the sun, always working. It's always hard work, no, no pauses. And that's when we started, you know, joking around that, you know, if we ever have a company, we, there will be some shade and will be some shadows under our peers. <laughs> we won't be just working. We will have time for leisure and, and, you know, life and sports and everything else. And when I was registering my company 2020, I couldn't, I couldn't pick a name. It was, it was impossible for me to pick up something. And, you know, the more pressure you have, the less you get creative. And I just called my friend and I said, would you mind if I took the name Pure Shadow, because we already had a Slack workspace called Pure Shadow in 2015. You know, we already had the running joke of, you know, having some shades under our peers. And he said, yeah, sure. Like, you know, you can take it. And I said, you can be now my honorary co-founder, like forever and ever, but let me just have the name. And he was like, sure. So that's how we, how we got to the name, you know. That's a great story. And I still wonder if this uncle rests or if, if he just works all the time. <laughs> I think he still works. I think he's very passionate about what he works on. He likes his job. He he was always devoted. I think there's you know, like there's mostly sun in his daily job and you know, no shades and no shadows. But yeah, that's that's the full story of it. Great. And at what moment in your freelancing career have you decided that you need a team? I guess it's it was easier for me to decide to have a team because I, I think a couple of things kind of mixed in and, and created the perfect formula. So first off, I never liked working alone. Freelancing was attractive for me for various reasons, but one of them you know, was not being alone. And I always thought, you know, if I do freelancing, I'm going to find a way to not work alone. Mm -hmm. And then I started working with US-based clients and I felt alone. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. It, it felt like you're alone and in multiple aspects, like you're, you're talking someone else's language 
you're living basically in a different time zone. So from time to time, I had to think of like, what time is it in New York instead of what time is it in Sarajevo? So you had this detachment and you always thought like, I always thought like, how can I fill this void with something that's more group oriented, more mm -hmm. team oriented? And for me, it was the point where I could have taken more, you know, more work, but didn't have enough manpower because I was a one man team or the time to work on it. So in my mind, that's, that was like the natural extension and just saying, I need help. For me, that, that was, that has been always easy in life to think that sometimes I need help. It's just not always easy to say that and act on it. So yeah. sometimes we know that we need help, but we don't always say or, or do anything about that. So, so I made the first step and afterwards it was, it was easier because more people meant more knowledge, more knowledge meant more sharing, introducing new technologies. And it felt like you're multiplying yourself. I, I, I never felt like these were my workers or, or just my friends. There are, yeah. there are multiplications of me. There are factors that are kind of expanding on me as much as, you know, they could. And I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't be myself without them. And I couldn't achieve as much as I could alone. And you told that they are kind of your friends, but you know, when you're, and still you're managing the team, mm -hmm. and it's always this, you know, boundary between like being a manager or being a friend. How do you deal with it? It's not always easy. I guess I've had these situations throughout my career where I would work with someone that I was close with personally or become close personally after working with someone. So it's very hard to make a distinction between work and life and say, oh, these are just my colleagues. I don't have anything in common with them because I only work with them and this is my family and I don't work with my family. So some people have these wrong lines. I never had these wrong lines. For me, they were always blurry and I would always navigate you know, through that blurriness by saying, you know, let's just be honest and be transparent and see what we can do. I have a lot of friends that I would never work with and they know this. I've told this, uh, you know, them in, in, to their faces, like, I love you. I'll, I'll, I'll have a drink with you. We will hang out every single day, but I will never work with you. <laughs> and, and I think that's fair, you know, from my side, I, I have colleagues that I don't want to, you know, hang out with. I, I, I keep, you know, I told them like, I want to work with you, but I don't want to hang out with you. So I think we all pick and choose who we want to hang out and who we want to work with. And it's super, super nice if you can do both. So I've tried to build my team around the fact that I want to do both, mostly because most of these people are people I knew you know, from before, either ex-colleagues or friends or even relatives. But it can sometimes be hard. You know, sometimes you have to take one role or the other and you know, step into that role. But I've, I haven't had any actual issues. And I think the, the most of my, my success can be driven to the fact that I was always transparent with them. I've always said, this is how it's going to be. You can like it or not like it, you know, complain it or not. We can discuss it, but some things are hard-coded and some are not. Just, just, just one more question. Did you, did they ask you if they can work with you or it was just after a few beers, you were, you know what, I won't work with you. I, I think it was 50-50, like 
some of them approached me and then I thought, oh yeah, this is going to be a great idea working with them. Uh, for others, mostly for those who you know joined early, they didn't know I was starting anything or that I was even thinking about expanding. So I had to reach out to them. And usually it was like very, a very simple conversation, very easy. Like if you know the people or have already worked with them, you don't have to go through the whole process. Like you know that they are culture fit. You know, you don't have to think about that. You know that they are technically sound. You don't need to give them a charge. Obviously, as we expand, I don't have enough friends to, to, you know, have them all join me or, you know, I don't have enough friends who will join me eventually. <laughs> so, you know, I think this is doable and, and can work in early stages. As we grew, I hope we grew. I don't think that will be a feasible tactic. So we will have to change tactics, but some things will never change. Like I will always keep the level of transparency that I have. Whether it's someone I know or don't know, whether it's someone I personally hired or someone who who was hired through a potential HR sometime in the future. So it's not the same, you know, having a five, 10 man company and a hundred or thousands, you know, it has, the tactics has to change. Yeah. So am I hearing that correct that till this moment you were working only with friends or somebody you know? Yes, basically. Well, actually, no, my first hire was someone I never knew <laughs> or ever met. So this was a, this was a weird decision I made. So I'm a software engineer. I spent a decade working with software. I had a few failed startups, but I never was in a, a managerial position. So I thought, okay, this will be my biggest weakness because I have to now work with people and I have to manage these people. And the first person I hired, I wanted to be someone who's not a friend, who I've never worked with, and who was potentially opposite of everything that I stood for. So I kind of picked a person who, who I didn't like, basically, uh, as, a, as a training ground for myself to help me become a good manager. It was, it was, a, it was a tricky experiment. <laughs> I know. It, it sounds unreasonable. It sounds like a huge gamble. But for me, it was like a learning process. If I can manage to work with someone who's every who's the opposite of everything I stand for, that means I'll easily work with people who have something in common with me. Like I took the, the hardest job immediately. I didn't want to do this like two years down the road. I wanted to do this immediately. And actually it was a test for myself. So I thought if I fail, maybe this wasn't a good idea. Maybe I shouldn't be expanding my team. Maybe I should be a solo player. You know, and it took us a year, almost a year. But after a year, I think, you know, both of us grew in so many ways that, you know, we became almost best friends. And you are still working together. Yes. Yes. He's still my number one. Wow. It's, it, yeah, it's, it's a golden nugget, you know, like I've, I've never heard such stories, but it's just amazing. So thank you very much for sharing that. And You're welcome. you told that you were looking for somebody you like the totally opposite of you. And what personal traits are like you? So what are you looking to have in a person to add to your team right now? Like, what do you like the most of those traits? Mm. Well, obviously, you know, like most people, I like good things. But it's always about like defining what's more important. Obviously, we, everyone has an ideal colleague, an ideal employee, uh, and a, an ideal boss. But 
we never reach that ideal. I think that's almost impossible, but we can try and focus on a few things first and then see, you know, how much, how many uh, checkboxes can we tick from a single person? So for me, it what I've kind of figured in the last three years, the most important thing I want to see is engagement. I want to see the sparkle in the eye mm-hmm. where they talk passionately about something, whatever it is. Even if it's not work, even if it's something that's like a leisure or a hobby or anything else in their life. And if they if they are passionate about something else, I can help them become passionate about their work. So I only need to know that they understand the emotion of passion. So for me, that's the that's the priority number one, engagement and passion and willingness to take additional steps, extra steps, you know, go the extra mile. And then it's all about responsibility. I would say responsibility is number two for me. If you can show me in the first two, three months that you're a responsible person, you can have everything. I'm gonna I'm gonna open every single door that I can, do everything in my power to keep you happy and satisfied. As long as you're gonna keep, you know, doing what you're doing and being responsible. So these are the two checkboxes I tick first, and they are a culture fit checkboxes. To be honest with you, like I like positive people, like funny people. I like you know people who can mix and match with multiple groups and not feel too awkward about it. Yeah. But you know, after these two checkboxes, then I start you know actually looking at technical, you know, expertise and uh, their experience and how much they can contribute to the team. If if this is something that we need right now, how flexible are they with their technology stack and so on and so on. But I would say these two are my priority checkboxes. You are a developer yourself, so kind of plain coach. Do you micromanage? So here's the thing about micromanagement. I always hated that word uh, because I was taught that that's a negative word. Later on in my life, I had to be micromanaged at some point. I had some rough patches in my life where work simply wasn't a priority, but I still had to do it. And people had to micromanage me to keep me alive and basically save my job. Uh, so that's when I understood the value of micromanagement. It doesn't have to be necessary an evil term, something that we you know discard and think of. If someone is being micromanaged, it's a bad thing. No, it, it can be a part of the process. So I try not to micromanage. If, if I can see a person who can do what they need to do on their own, I will never micromanage them. If I see that they're floating, and I think we all float, that there's always a period of year where we're distracted and focused, where we need to be on a vacation and we're still not there yet. Yes, I help them by micromanaging them. I've never had anyone tell me, like, please don't micromanage me, <laughs> which means they haven't realized that I micromanage them. So I don't I don't see it as micromanagement. I see it uh, as I see that as a as a slight nudge in the right direction. And as soon as I can see, as soon as I see results that I don't need to micromanage, I let it go. I feel like that process is as similar as riding a bike, which by the way, I can't ride a bike, but I know how to help someone learn how to ride a bike. Like you have to keep the person, you know, with your both hands while they're still pedaling. And then once you feel like they can pedal on their own and ride a bike, that's when you let it go. I, I do the same thing especially with junior engineers. I think junior engineers need to be micromanaged. It's not about 
they're good or bad. It's just that they need to build skills. And you know, to properly build them, you need to help them step by step and not just expect them to know everything because they don't. I also feel like it's all about asking questions, you know, because if you are allowing them to be open with you and to say that, I'm sorry, I don't know, can you explain me? So I feel like that, that that's what really helps. But, you know, sometimes people are not learning. So you can hold them forever and they and you will just run. And at some point you will just run out of your power. I, I'm fortunate enough to have, still have a small team. So I know everyone. I know what they're doing on a daily basis. Even though if I'm, even though I'm, you know, um, not injecting myself into the, into their daily work, I can keep track of it and react, you know, in time. So I'm, I'm a big fan of continuous feedback. I don't want to give feedback to someone after like six months because yeah. that's six months of missed opportunities to make a change and improve. I never liked getting feedbacks once a year or twice a year. It felt like I lost a lot of time by waiting just for that feedback. And I might've made the same mistake over and over. It's not about making multiple mistakes. It's about making the same mistake 10 yeah. times. Yeah. And I, I tried to change this. I tried to introduce continuous feedback by seeing immediately what's wrong. And I, and I do that every single time I, I see that something's wrong. I just approach it and say, this is not okay. If they say they didn't know, I always say, reply with the same thing, ask. Ask and you'll get an answer either from me or from anyone else in the company because we keep the knowledge share high. We keep the collaboration high, even if it's not you know, your job. It is your job. You know, It's not your job technically, but it is your job culturally to help your colleague in, in every single situation. And by colleague, I mean even myself. I'm a colleague as well to all of them yeah. be because I am. So asking questions and learning is the peak point of every engineer and in every aspect or every industry. But it takes a while, especially again for junior engineers, to understand that, uh, to, to, to be become brave enough to ask questions and not think that, someone might uh, look at them differently or think there are, there's less value in them if they ask questions. I ask questions even today. And the more I learn, the less I know. And that's a, that's a natural thing. The, 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 the more they understand this, the easier it is for them to ask questions and it, it's easier for them to learn. So I think, especially again, for junior engineers, I think there's a huge transformation that they need to do within the first three to six months. If they do it correctly, then their path is much easier for the next two or three years, you know, chasing knowledge and not being afraid to ever ask how or why, or just simply, I don't know. I've tried, I've, I've explored all my options. I've did all my research and I still don't understand. And this is, this is the value that I think I provide to them is like when they do all of this, I'm the last point of contact that can say, oh, I have an idea or I can help you or let's try it together and rerun through all the steps. You know, Manil, I really wish to have the sky as a limit, but time is the limit. So the final yes. question, what is your favorite food? I'm a meatballs guy. I don't know why, but I love meatballs. I love all kinds of meatballs. So yeah. Meatballs.
and I've heard from other folks from Bosnia that you have to that you have one of the best meatballs there. I hope we do. One day I'll try. So thank you very much for sharing this. And you know, thank you so much for sharing your experience. It's been such a pleasure to hear and learn from you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me, Yuri. And thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, hit the like button on five stars and share it with your friend. That's it. We're done. See you in the next episode. <laughs>